This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From our virtual studios in the Netherlands and Camarillo, California. With a bit of Ojai, California, thrown in for good measure, it is the Marketing Geeks radio program on the internet. That's right. What? What a show we have for you today. We are going to be joined by someone very special who is from the movie industry. Andros, why don't you share a little bit about what's coming up? I will, right after our theme song is over, because (laughs) this is the moment that I have to build up the hype and make it sound like we're very, very excited, and we're going to bring to you the things into your ear holes that you need to hear about marketing and more. But it is, it is the truth, because this is the best marketing podcast in the world, in the universe, whatever else is out there, the multiverse, we'll take whatever you give us, but it is the greatest. You want to learn so much, get excited. This is going to be an incredible show. In fact, I predict this will be the best show that we ever have done in the history of Marketing Geeks Radio in the Internet. That's right. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. Hey, everybody. We are back <laughs> again. And we have we this this show. I've been I've, this is the show I've been wanting to do for like months now. And uh, it is. Uh, a person who I hold in absolute, the highest, highest esteem. Uh, he happens to also be the godfather of my own son. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I would like to introduce the fabulous Josh Dekel. Here he is. Yeah. How, how is it? Well, with an intro like that, <laughs> how, do you, how do you even... <laughs> How do you live up to that? The Godfather. You don't. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> Josh Dekel. Now, if you if you don't if you don't know uh, Josh Dekel, just go on IMDb. Look at the guy's resume. Uh, he he is a uh, he's a, a change maker and uh, a, a, an amazing cat because um, uh, you've been you've been making films now for how long? Well, since I could walk, <laughs> since since he could, so that was since that's he been about that's been about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, because you know he's been drunk most of the time. But exactly. Now, since, now he's since, sobered up to be on our this, show since this morning <laughs> when I dried out. I picked up an iPhone and made a film. Uh, I've been making films. I've been making films for um, the better part of twenty years. Yeah. Now, now for those for those listeners who haven't who haven't heard about you, what, what can you can you give us kind of your your uh, elevator pitch resume? Yeah, I started off. My career started in a vegetable oil powered van called the Veggie Van, which I drove cross country on used cooking grease, and that uh, landed me a spot on the Today Show. I was in college, didn't know anything about marketing but had a very brightly painted van called the veggie van. We had a website. It's since deceased, but the veggie van website received a million visitors in the first couple months. This was back when the internet, you know, 1997 dial up AOL, you know, and so it just launched this incredible trajectory of mixture between environmental activism, journalism, filmmaking, and marketing. Because to sell an idea like, hey, we've got to make the world a better place, that's, that's a boring idea. It's much better to say, you know, oh, I'm going to give you weight loss, or I'm going to give you big boobs, or I'm going to give you a big house or a, a jet ski. You know, those are things that are really exciting to people. To say, I'm going to make the environment better is such a wet blanket. So to have Especially to in 1997. Out, yeah. I mean, that wasn't a hot topic yeah. back then. No, not at all. I mean, that's pre inconvenient you know, truth, even. I mean, that's even before that. 
it, you know, it was pre a lot of things, but, but, you know, basically uh, we were still, you know, recovering from the eighties, which were really a recovery from the seventies. So, you know, no one was even thinking about the future and, and to be able to sort of do all that, I had to, I had to learn a lot of marketing tricks. Yeah. Well, driving around a van called the veggie van, I mean, you might have known marketing with before without even knowing that you knew marketing. Now, Andres and I talk about niching down a lot. And what you did there was you took a niche of um, a certain type of fuel and you used vegetable fuel to drive a car. Now, that is called niching down. And that's a very specific market that we would call a blue ocean market. Uh, and I haven't, I don't think I've talked about this on the show that much, but there's a concept called like blue ocean versus red ocean and marketing. Red ocean is when you're too generic and you're swimming with the sharks. It's like everybody's in the red ocean. But when you're in blue ocean, you've created your own niche. And driving a veggie van around the world is definitely blue ocean territory. Oh, it was, it was, it was more like sewage ocean. It was the most <laughs> disgusting smelling. You know, I had to go behind restaurants and get the used cooking oil and turn it into fuel. But I turned that into a book. Uh, you know, leveraging sort of the media. And that was called From the Fryer to the Fuel Tank. And I sold that out of my living room and made uh, quite a bit of money doing that. And then later sunk that money into my first movie uh, and thought the money would be endless and realized, wow, you, you end up making movies on credit cards a lot. And so that's sort of my journey <laughs> in filmmaking. Um, but, but it's, yeah, but, but tell us about that movie. Cause that, that, that movie is incredible. And actually I, I, I was a fan of this movie before I even met you. And that was, that was really cool to finally meet you and go, Oh my God, I've, yeah. I've seen this and I, I, I love this movie. So can you tell us a little bit about the film and, and what happened after that? Cause that's a great story too. So fuel is the name of the film. And it, uh, it was a long journey. It was, it was like six or seven years to make this movie. It, you know, the behind the scenes is far more interesting than the actual film. But the film premiered at Sundance. It won the Audience Award. I met my wife doing the film, Rebecca. We teamed up. We became kind of a producer-director pair and later director-director-producer director, director, pair. And the film really blew up. It went to 150 theaters in the U.S. It went global. It was translated into all these languages. And it was showing theatrically. We premiered the film in 2008, and the film was still showing in theaters. We The last theatrical opening was five years later. We opened theaters in South Africa in 2013. Wow. So it was, it was wow. an insane global ride, uh, racking up you know, shelves and shelves of awards at film festivals and got shortlisted for an Oscar. And, you know, in the meantime, got the full Hollywood experience. I got thrown down a set of stairs. I got sued. You know, I, I had all these really super, super typical Hollywood uh, stories happen. But we prevailed. And the film, I think it's still available. I believe you can watch Fuel on Amazon. And it's just Fuel. That's what it's called, Fuel. There's another, there's another film called Fuel about a guy that runs this is a fuel film about actual fuel, just so you know. About a vegetable oil van. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, now the the thing the thing that's really great about this movie, if I if I could just kind of like I'm going to spoil it just a little bit, but what what you did in this movie, which was the genius of this film, is you started off with just you driving around your veggie van, and you asked one simple question, which is why. If if I can drive a, around a car that that basically doesn't involve the uh, industrial oil complex, uh, why can't everybody? And um, and and you take us on this journey that starts with that simple question and basically goes all the way through why the military exists <laughs> and and where <laughs> where where our our bases are. And, and how oil affects the planet on so many different levels. And by the, by the end of the movie, you're just kind of stuck with this feeling like, like wow, I, I had no idea that, that things were so like just out of control on that level. And um, I mean, and you do it in such a, a, a beautiful way. And, and this is something that um, uh, I've, I've seen you do in your uh, in your other films, in, including uh, some of the movies that haven't come out yet. I, I had the honor of seeing uh, your latest movie, 
can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Give us some spoilers about about real quick. Real quick, I just want to I just want to throw one thing out here on the yeah. on the fuel movie. Um, so Josh, because I, I remember the story about like who killed the electric car, and that was a movie that was I promoting. Did. I did just so you know, I was the <laughs> you, one you're the one you're the guy. I knew yeah. it. I knew it. Okay, it's revealed. It's revealed. It's revealed. There you go. Yeah. Well, that that movie got uh, some pushback from the oil companies, and uh, and basically they kind of. Um, deducted that like i think it was the chevron or one of the or exxon uh, exxon oil was like one of the people behind the killing the initial electric car push in the in the late 80s uh 90s and my question is did you get any pushback from any corporate uh corporations with your movie or did they just think it wasn't big enough or what what happened with it because it, it got pretty big i mean i heard of your movie um and i wasn't really seeking environmental activism stuff back then <laughs> and i found your movie so I'm, I'm wondering, did you get any pushback on That's this a great from, question. Uh, from people? Well, most of the pushback at that, at that early stage was just subtle. Like we would go into a town and we would get a sponsor to pay for the ads in that town. Just like, you know, podcast is sponsored. So it'd be sponsored by, you know, Bob's Pizza or something. And we'd take out all these ads in newspapers and we, you know, get everybody riled up for the film. And then we'd go to the town and none of the ads would be there. And all the radio spots would be gone. And all the billboards and all the posters would be gone. And we were like, what's going on? And so eventually we found out there was a group that came before us and like just basically scuttled everything that we were doing. So that was happening while the film was coming out. And then many films and many years later, my wife and I were the target of a very insidious campaign uh, in which some, some oil-related people spent a lot of time and money um, targeting us and slandering us in the media. So yeah, there's been some pushback, but, uh, truth yeah. prevails. Yeah. And truth I, prevails. I actually remember, I, we don't have to get into that whole story, but, uh, I, I, re, there, there, there was, I mean, it sounds like something out of a conspiracy novel or a conspiracy movie, but, um, uh, I can confirm <laughs> that this happened, that, uh, uh, Josh and Rebecca were, uh, blatantly targeted by a firm that was backed by oil money in a very specific way to destroy their reputation. And it was crazy when this came out. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it. But uh, yeah, so I, I actually can confirm that this happened. You were, you were working on um, uh, some other oil-related movies uh, at the time. But, but now you, you've pivoted just a little bit. Now you're working on some, some new projects. Can you get into what you're working on now? Yes. So we've got four films in post-production and they're all related to environmental issues in some way, shape or form. They're called Kiss the Ground, Down to Earth, The Revolution Generation and Heartland. Uh, three of them, the first three are documentaries. The last one is a scripted narrative. So how much can you tell us about each, each of those? And who's who's in that last one? In the last one, I, I saw on Facebook or something that you had some. You actually had some stars in that one. Who who's in the cast in, in Heartland? Because I, I was seeing some uh, promotion for it early. Yeah, we've got David Arquette, Muriel Hemingway, Francis Fisher, Amy Smart, William May Pother. Uh, the list goes on and on. We've got some amazing Native American actors, including David Midthunder, Carrie Knupp, um, and Irene Bedard. It's it's a it's an all star cast. Very cool. Can you give us a, a little teaser about, uh, about uh, with uh, the plot? So Heartland picks up in 2016, and it follows the movements of a war vet who has PTSD. He's got severe PTSD. He lives in Ohio, and he's a journalist these days, and he gets called to do a story on the oil pipeline that's going through the Dakotas. And it happens to go through this Native American reservation. So he goes out there, has all sorts of trials and tribulations, and has to grapple with what is truth, who is telling the truth, while he's dealing with his own, you know, sort of reality break. He's dealing with what's reality and what's, what's not reality. And so it's kind of a meta example for us, the audience, to kind of sit back and be like, well, what is true? You know, what is fake news? What is real? Um, and, and for us to really like delve into that as an audience and, and, and actually take some action and, and look at these things objectively. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. And and that was that was your first. It's your first non-doc film. And how was that experience filming that for you? Uh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was really hard. It was really yeah. hard. Yeah, really hard. I mean, I worked learn- on uh, I worked on one movie set in uh, as a as a, just a production assistant, and it also was brutal. We were on a super low budget, and it was just. 14 hour days, brutal. So I, I've experienced it. I can imagine what that was like, but yeah, go into it, it, Josh. Yeah. It's like getting thrown out of a plane without a parachute and having <laughs> sex at the same time, man. You, you've just described my ultimate fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, That's what I'm here for. I'm a, I'm a fountain of fantasy description. <laughs> So, uh, it's, so it's exhilarating and terrifying. That's yes. the ba- yeah. that's the bottom line. Yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. So so uh, and and when can we expect to see this movie? Well, you know, how long is a piece of string? I think ten feet. We'll, you know, <laughs> ten feet. Well, uh, with any luck, it'll be out by the end of the year. Okay, and and that may mean next year. So twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. <laughs> Now, uh, depending on when you're listening to, it'll be the end of the year. <laughs> now, you know, Blade Runner took a minute, people. It didn't just happen overnight. <laughs> really? I, I, uh, it, it felt like watching, it was a long movie, man. It felt like, like watching it all night. I, you know, that was just me. I believe Blade Runner took place in 2019. Is that correct? Isn't it? In the, from 20, the 80s, didn't it take place in 2019? The first one? 2015. The first one? Yeah. It was 2015. Oh, okay. I, I really hope it does too, not. I I super hope it does not take us to 2050 to make. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, the the other movie that uh, I was really excited about uh, and I loved it was uh, Generation Revolution. Can you go into that one a little bit? Mm-hmm. The Revolution Generation. The book's out, by the way. The, re- the, the Revolution, Revolution Generation. Generation. The Revolution Generation. And it's on Amazon and local bookstores, all that stuff. Audible. I recorded the audiobook. Only took 20 hours. The, um, <laughs> the Revolution Generation is kind of what I think, you know, the book and the movie are a bit ahead of its time. But what we see in the United States today, certainly with the millennial contingent of voters and people running for office, is we're in a new paradigm. We're in the world of a new paradigm. We have a new generation of people that are taking power. And as a result, the value shift is so tremendous. It is a tsunami of value shift that is affecting, you know, it's already affected, let's face it, it's it's affected consumer products, it's, it's affected the internet, it's affected communications, it's affected so many areas of our lives. There's just one area of our life where it really hasn't hit yet. And we're just starting to see the very beginning of it. And that's politics. And of course, you know, anyone who studies our political system in the United States can tell you that our political system is, it's outdated, it's corrupt, it's a mess, and it needs a major operating system upgrade. The revolution generation codifies that upgrade. It gives it to you. It breaks it down. It's a how-to manual for the future of America and how to save the world. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a powerful movie. I you uh, I was lucky enough to uh, get an advanced screening of it, and I uh, I really liked it. I liked it a lot, um, and it uh, it it really shows. You really get a sense of like two things when I watch that movie. Um, the first thing I feel is that number one, uh, nobody is really prepared for what's about to happen. Right. And uh, number two, uh, the the way to change this feeling of uh, uh, kind of uh, apathy, it, 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 it's not too hard to shift that. And it's really up to these younger people. I mean, uh, I, I just turned 49. It's too late for me. Right. To really I could probably run for office. It, but it is. But, you should you should you should call it now, Andros. You should just you're, call you're it now. way too old, way too old. Oh, believe me, buddy. Oh, I man. called it a long yeah. time ago. Uh. <laughs> but but 49. No, you can't run for office, Andros, not because you're too old. It's because of everything else that happened. In your oh, life. man, I, I don't oh, need a man. Twitter account. I just need a couple of my friends to just be like, no, no, don't don't let that guy run. But uh, but but. But uh, yeah, I mean, so so let me ask you a, a few questions because I, I, I want to get into the marketing aspect of this because the way that you do the marketing is very interesting. But but first, I want to address one kind of component of this, which is, um, you know, for anyone who might be, you know, of, of our seven listeners who might 
you know, lean a little more right than, than I do. Uh, what, what do you say to somebody who's like, oh, you're just developing liberal propaganda? Like, you know, how do you, how, cause I'm sure you get a, you, that you get hit with that. How do you address that? It's very simple. You look at the last election in the United States, 2016, 102 million potential voters didn't vote. That's the largest party we have. Where is that party? Why can't it have access to our political system? And where in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, does it say that we have an intractable two-party system that the only thing the two parties agree on is that there shall not be a third? So there's, there's nowhere in this system that it says in the codifying documents of our nation that thou shalt not have choice. But that's the way it's boiled down. So this isn't an advocacy project for a left-leaning or a right-leaning, you know, supermajority. It's an advocacy project for that the majority of people have access to governance, which is not happening. And, you know, from an environmental perspective, which is where I come from, with everything, we cannot address environmental issues unless we address broken political system. And that's what we have. Yeah, Josh, I just wanted to, to say, because you mentioned earlier that we're, to, we're at this huge value clash because right now, and if you look at it in politics, you're seeing this, this wide swing to the left and a wide swing to the right and completely, completely different value systems that are colliding against each other. You have one that's like traditional capitalism where it's profit no matter what and um, pushing, you know, pushing other things aside. And then you have more of like a collectivist mindset. It's, it's uh, on the kind of on the left that wants to spread, you know, spread things out and, and be more um, collectivist. And so I, I agree with you hundred percent though, that a two party system is so strange to me in 2019 that there's only, you have to be a part of this party or this party and there's nothing in between. And, and so like, especially when kind of both are, are tending to lean further apart from the middle, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. I just wanted to bring that up, but I, but I do see that gigantic culture clash. And like you said, it's already it's already been impacted everywhere, and we're like you see, we're now seeing it in politics. We're seeing it with the with the activism coming from the school shootings. We're seeing it with the uh, the gun control. We're seeing it with healthcare. We're seeing it with a number of uh, issues, including abortion now. Which I, I don't want to get into all these topics in, in detail, but uh, fascinating stuff. And it is a conversation that needs to be had because I completely agree that the constitution does not require a two-party system. I think that is completely broken and I would love to see additional parties uh, brought on board. Well, think of it from a marketing perspective. You guys are marketing guys. We've been, you know, we've been uh, very much sold the idea that we've got this bifurcation in America. But if you look at the big issues, you know, look at the big issues of healthcare, education, minimum wage, you know, we get distracted. Party politics is all about distraction, right? So it's all about selling a distraction, selling a, oh, look over there, look over there. Don't look at the hand that's reaching in your pocket, stealing the money, look over here. And, and what that distraction often is, is a hot button emotional issue. So, you know, the big issues are, how are we going to live? I.e., do we get enough money to live? You know, how are we going to take care of our health? And how are we going to educate ourselves? But if I say abortion, Suddenly, everybody in the room, the temperature goes up, right? And I can carry that. I can carry that for years and years. I can distract with that. I can ramp that up. And I never have to address the real issues. So the truth is, most Americans, what a shock, agree on the big issues. 70 to 80% of Americans want free health care. 70 to 80% of Americans want low cost or free tuition. 70 to 80% of Americans want a $15 minimum wage or better. So the distraction has been effective to maintain a lie, which is that we need a two-party system, which maintains our distance from any real solution. When in reality, we have a purple America. We don't have a red or a blue America. So that's, that's where marketing can be used against us. Yep. Because we have adopted kind of identity politics recently where it is kind of black and white, like you're either with us or against us kind of thing. And yes, there, there needs to be, you know, we, I think, like you said, like most Americans agree on the, on the main issues, but the, the ones that separate are, you know, immigration obviously right now too. And yeah, abortion, things like that. And they get, they get the most news coverage because they get the highest ratings. And so we have that problem where marketing favors ratings, news channels, 
despite belief systems, will always go for the higher ratings, which is a, a, a big reason why Donald Trump is the president, because he brought in huge ratings and got all kinds of free publicity that other politicians wouldn't get. So he was able to monopolize on social media, monopolize on all these different campaigns to get out in the news without spending a ton of money, which other people have not been able to do. But from a marketing standpoint, to get this out there, it's going to be a challenge. Andres, why don't you tell us your ideas for getting the two party or the getting past the two party system? I want to hear them. <laughs> I'll think about it. Well, you know, actually, the the person that that has really, I, I feel, has really done well with uh, marketing uh, politics and change has been uh, Alexandria uh, Oksana um, Ocasio uh, Cortez. Uh, did I say that right? Did I, did I Ocasio, right? Ocasio Cortez. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I have dyslexia, man. Don't make fun of me. Um, but, uh, but she. I, I mean, if you follow her on Twitter, and she has been, uh, like for instance, there was there, there was a video of her in uh, in her early days in college, like doing some dance routine, and so the the right wing media tried to uh, shame her as like, you know, being cute and dancing saying, you know, look at her. She's so dumb. And she responded on Twitter by showing her dancing in front of her office. And, uh, you know, she, if somebody like bad her, she goes on Twitter and gives them a zinger and, and she's really using, she's, she's marketing herself in a way that is savvy. And also, uh, the, the way that right wing media is trying to destroy her, uh, she's, she's better at it at, at, at their game. And so I, I, uh, I'd like to see more people like her because I think that, that we do have the mechanisms, you know, we don't have to destroy the entire system in the United States and rebuild something else. We just need to fix the holes that are happening there. And one of the things that fascinates me about marketing specifically is, is the ability to sway people's uh, opinion subtly by uh, suggestion, and you know, on on uh, other shows, I've talked about uh, Edward and Bernays and how uh, Freud's cousin, who who invented modern day marketing, but he uses psycho he used psychological techniques. Um, and one of the things that I feel has happened in, uh, especially from uh, troll farms out of Russia, is that they've they've really been able to figure out how to use the technology against us, specifically with Facebook and, uh, you know, swaying opinion just a little bit, move the needle just a little bit and you can, you know, move a mountain. So, um, uh, and, and that gets into kind of the main topic I, I want to discuss with, uh, you, Josh, and that's how, how in this day and age when, you know, because once upon a time, it, you really couldn't make a movie without, dealing with the gatekeepers and advertising was really expensive to do. And now for, you know, $10,000, you can have an advertising campaign that, you know, can hit everybody on social media. So how, 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 tell me like kind of where you're at with that being a filmmaker and how do you do kind of more of this guerrilla marketing when you don't deal with traditional media? Well, definitely social media is the number one way that we communicate about our films. And, you know, look, people who um, people who do independent movies know how far a dollar can stretch. So, you know, look, if you're interested in our films, you got to get on Facebook, you got to get on Instagram, got to check out, you know, the fuel film, you got to check out Down to Earth. Down to Earth is our is our film about the science of grounding. And that is blowing up on Facebook. We had 27 million people watch a trailer that we put out about grounding wow. about our movie 27 million people do you know how hard it would get be to get 27 million people to watch something in some other medium i mean it just well, we get seven it, per know? episode so that's a lot of episodes no i yeah, mean you guys are a... you guys are crushing it on the show but <laughs> but um and, and i mean that it's a great show but 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 it's not always that successful but that film particularly has a very a very great audience that loves the topic. It's, it's universal. It can help everybody putting your feet on the ground, heals your body. So using Facebook to build that kind of fervor is uh, critical. And now Instagram, of course, as well. And that's, you know, when the studios do a movie, they break down the script and then they break down the marketing of that movie in terms of, they have an estimate to the dollar of how much money that movie is going to make. 
they have an estimate to the dollar of how much money they have to spend on marketing. And they have an estimate of exactly where they have to spend the marketing. More and more, they're spending it on social media. But, you know, the whole purpose of releasing a studio movie is to create the brand that then you exploit through millions of other channels. Whereas with us, we, you know, we're lucky if we can get the film finished. So we just try to create the brand yeah. and just get the movie out and move on to the next one. It's a much well. I imagine yeah. Kiss the Ground doesn't sell a lot of toys. So right, not yet. We don't have the <laughs> Kiss the Ground fuzzy bear or whatever, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I I can concur with this, Josh, because I I used to work in the entertainment industry doing uh, focus groups for films, and we would test market a movie, and it was very interesting because yeah, there there was this whole process where they would they would test screen the movie and they would go, oh well you know, this actor, like they would actually do a, a, a sub, a, a total of what they think the film would make by plugging their software. You could plug in a different actor based on how much money they've been making. <laughs> and you can see like how much you think that the movie will make based on a genre and uh, all of this stuff. And Adam uh, I've seen it where they, yeah, Adam <laughs> Sandler is, um, but they, you know, but they would they would like even they would show they would have a movie with a star in it. And I've seen this happen where one star was in the movie and the star suddenly had a, another movie that came out that lowered his ranking. So they would take that star out of the movie completely, and uh, and so it, but but that doesn't quite work as well anymore. And so uh, mostly because people aren't going to the movies as much. Uh, so so as far as like, could you explain kind of the because you were saying just get the movie out but there's a lot of steps that go in between so can you like from a guerrilla marketing standpoint because that's essentially what you're doing can you kind of give us the process of what you do because you also you know from from the movies that you've released most of them have companion books that come out as well so can you kind of give us the breakdown of 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 the generalization of what happens when you make a film from start to finish and the marketing that goes into it Yes. So, you know, most independent filmmakers are just trying to make the film. They're not really thinking about the marketing. Uh, we tend to be a little more marketing oriented. And I'd say that we're getting very marketing oriented. Um, like with the next film that's not part of this batch of four films that we discussed, we're working on the marketing uh, as we're working on the script. We're working on the marketing as we're working on the art design. We're working on the marketing as we're working on the budget. Like the marketing is part and parcel of every single decision. And people will listen to this who are part of sort of my ecological, environmental, uh, you know, crew, and they'll be like, oh, you've sold out, Tickle, you know. And the truth is, um, it's not, making a film is not about making this pure expression of what you want to make. It's about making something that people will see. And so if you're making something that you're only going to show in the dark in your closet, that's like, that's like very self-congratulatory. We're trying well, to move. I, I got to tell you, just, just stop right there. If, yeah. if I'm watching a movie in the dark in my closet, uh, I, I'm not congratulating myself. That's Anyway, moving right along. I think that the later report that we're going to talk about later today will, will tell you what Andres is watching instead. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. But, uh, but I, so, so in order to get people to see something, you have to understand how to communicate them to them that that thing is going to be a good thing to watch. And in order to do that, Josh, can I ask you a question? Break down the market. Um, yes. I want to, I want to hear, cause you've got 27 million views on that, um, on that video, the trailer for kiss the ground for, gra what, for what a down, kind of, to earth, uh, down to earth, down to earth, down to earth. I'm yeah. sorry for down yeah. to earth. Yeah. What did you do to promote that? So, I mean, was this like a viral video, but did you, did you spend money on, um, on boosting the video? Did you, how did you promote it? We did. We boosted it a little bit. Um, but not much. I mean, we kind of, you know, we created a, a couple of contests. Hey, put your cool grounding photo on here or uh, tell us your grounding story. And, and we boosted those. And, you know, again, this was very minimal in terms of our ability yeah. to do this. We're, we're independent filmmakers. We don't have a huge marketing budget. We don't have usually any marketing budget. So we're spending like $20 here, you know, $20 there. And uh, boom, this thing just blew up. It was crazy. So it was just, it was just 
more pure luck than anything else on, on that particular front. Well, you found your I audience. Would like to, you found your audience. I would audience. like to say it's the genius of our filmmaking. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> but absolutely. yes, yes. In that, and that your marketing the, savviness too. Right. Yeah. The, genius, so, the, geni- the genius of our filmmaking and our marketing savviness boil down to dumb luck. Exactly. So that I, I want to go back a little bit to something that you said earlier, which is uh, that while you're in production, while the movie is being created and edited, you're actually... Uh, already in the marketing phase. So, so you're creating content for the marketing as you're making the movie yes, as well. Correct. Yeah. That's smart. Are you filming like behind the scenes interviews and things like that, that can be used for the marketing? Well now, well, this, this has totally changed. So now it used to be, you know, we just, we were just managing just to get to the interview location, do the interview. Now it's like, okay, who's going to do the behind the scenes photos where are the behind the scenes photos going to be stored, you know, who's putting them on Facebook What's the spin? Uh, you know, and so it's, it's that aspect. Like we had a behind the scenes photographer every single day of the Heartland movie. And, um, you know, every actor signed off on their photographs ahead of time, except for one. So we could put them on Instagram, Facebook. We'll be able to use them till the end of time. And that's, that's, you know, and somebody did a viral video. They literally filmed us doing a scene with David Arquette and they're inside an apartment building and we're outside on the street and we didn't know they were there and they probably didn't have any idea that David Arquette was going to be on the street that day. And so they're on their smartphone and they filmed this video and they put it on, they put it on Facebook or YouTube and like all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of people start watching this thing. Wow. David Arquette still got pull, huh? Wow. (laughs) He's huge. He's a, he's a a great actor. He's an amazing guy. So, uh, so it's that kind of thing where you realize like, Oh my gosh, the behind the scenes is almost as valuable as the film, even though like we're struggling to make this huge film. You know, somebody with their iPhone is like. Well, look at look at um, look at the marketing industry as a whole. That people want to see the behind the scenes in marketing. Even they want to see like, okay, the most successful marketers they're selling programs that are giving the behind the scenes secret. People want to see like their their journey and how they did what they did. And so for you, it's kind of the same thing. You probably have a bunch of uh, college, you know, aspiring film students that want to see that too. They want to see how you're doing it how you got started and then they can make similar documentaries. So you have an audience that, that might fit that. Plus um, it's just, it's entertaining to see the more raw footage. People like authentic. And when you're behind the scenes, you, you don't get more authentic than that unless you're cutting and editing the behind the scenes a ton. So it's uh, that's my yeah, take. I, I mean, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So Josh, tell me what, like, like as far as, you know, having to think about marketing while you're also thinking about making the film, uh, because you know you're building up buzz as the film is being made. Does that change the creative process in some way, or is that something that you kind of uh, you know you you delegate to to someone else to to handle? Like, what what's your like? Tell me about as you're doing the creative process. How does this affect the process in general? It uh, well, you know, it's interesting because with 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 all of our films, we kind of just went, oh, this is the film we want to make. This is how it's going to go down. Uh, down to earth is kind of an exception because we got together with an, another nonprofit and they said, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're into this earthing thing and you guys are into dirt and stuff. So you guys should make this film. And we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's fine. We'll do that too. But, um, and, and so they already had a sense that it was going to go viral. We didn't know they, when we put the trailer out, they were like, get ready. And we were like, wow. for what? And then uh, Rebecca and I were actually in Australia in this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they did a pop-up yoga class. And we were in the back of this yoga class on a beach town. Uh, all these, you know, wonderful beach people in this yoga class and this beach sort of yoga mama comes in and she's going to give this awesome, you know, beach yoga class. And she sits down and she goes, I just want to tell everybody about this movie that I watched on Facebook. It's about grounding. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, no way. There is no way this is happening. And then she proceeded. She opened up her little journal and she told us the whole script of the movie that we had just put on Facebook. And we were like, you've got to be kidding me. Did you tell her that you were the the people or did you leave it a secret? Yeah, eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Uh, But it was just, you know, it's that kind of virality that when you see it, you're like, okay, we've got to bake this into the movie process when we're making the film. Because if we don't, we're missing the we're missing the big op here, and and so what we're doing now with our films is as we cut the film, we're going, okay, 
does that person need to be in this film? Uh, they don't say anything important. Yes, but they've got 14 million Instagram followers. <laughs> Put yeah. them in the film. Put them in the film. Put them in the wow. film again. You know. Um, <laughs> Put them in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, maybe they're not, you know, a scientist, but they're they can they can say something and they can and be part of the, the sell tribe, tickets. You know? Gotta sell those tickets. <laughs> yeah. And and this is this is the thing that's so amazing to me is that is that you know how how we have pivoted like the way that this is all done. I mean, you know, more people watch PewDiePie videos then watch you know some of the biggest shows on network television and so so for you to you know have to think about this i i mean it 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 changes almost real time how how content is made to some degree because it gives you almost a sense of like being able to do real time market research at, while you're making the movie and if somebody if some piece of content that you put out there drives more interaction than another piece of content you can almost like shift the direction of the film a little bit to focus on on that right well perfect example with the revolution generation you know we've we've uh we've definitely molded the film as time has gone to make sure that when it finally does come out it's very current and it has this sort of currency of of what's happening now in the press, in the media. And, and that's the only way, unfortunately, for us to get these messages out is to tailor them somewhat to where the wave is already going. And, you know, again, you can say that's that's not pure. You should be a pure artur. But, man, try and make an independent film with no money. You're going to have to mold it somewhat to the market. Um, but, you know, obviously we're going to get our message in the cracks no matter what, you know? Yeah. So, so, so tell me this, like, you know, we're, we're in the age of Netflix. It's kind of a strange time because, um, and I find this for myself, I, w- I was a, a total movie fanatic, but it is challenging for me now to sit through an hour and a half, two hour movie, <laughs> yet I will still binge watch some dumb series on Netflix, right? For 10 hours. So, so I mean, you, you said something to me that has always stuck with me once, uh, you said, you know, that, uh, Netflix is a place where mediocrity goes to die. And, and that always stuck with wow. me. So <laughs> I know you, I said that. that. <laughs> wow. 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 <laughs> so, so uh, tell me like, like, where do you see this shift going? Like, I, I mean, I was working in the entertainment industry and then I worked for cable and I was there when cable started to, to die. What, where do you see like the, this all kind of leading to what, what do you see our future being like? Well, definitely you're going to see an aggregation of online services. So instead, you know, right now you're paying one price for Hulu, you know, one price for Amazon, one price for Netflix. And, and what cable did, which was so smart is it came in and it said, Oh, I'll give you HBO and Cinemax and I'll give you all these things and ESPN and different packages, And I'll just give you a, a package. And the new world that we're about to enter is the online package. And so there's going to be constellations of packages that you buy. And that may include your phone service. It may include your health insurance. It may even include doctors, 24-hour day online, you know, that you can, you know, get the app on your phone. Bang. Oh, my God, I've got a broken, you know, whatever on my kid and I need a doctor. Boom, there they are, in, in, you know, FaceTiming you. So the new world is going to be controlled not just by these verticals of like, it's not going to be Apple versus Amazon versus Netflix. It's going to be Constellation service providers. And that is going to be a whole new crazy world yeah. of, of like how you get your everything. And I think Andres, uh, you addressed this like an episode or two ago and you're like, they're going to call it Cable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, they're going to take all the mentioned. services, put it together, call it cable. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, this this gets into a really uh, interesting thing. I, I, I've been listening to uh, – I'm, I'm a podcast junkie. Um, besides uh, our podcast, I listen to a lot of uh, uh, really interesting podcasts. One of the ones I just listened to uh, scared the bejesus out of me. It was probably – 
the most terrifying thing I ever heard. And it was, it was subtle, but basically, uh, this guy found a person who, uh, makes deep fakes. And, uh, have you guys, are you guys familiar with, with deep fakes? I saw this, I saw this on Netflix. I saw a Netflix documentary that covered this. Uh, maybe not, uh, maybe I didn't hear the podcast, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Josh, Josh, are you are you familiar with this deep? No, I have deep, n- I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> oh well, you're you're, you're, you're we're all going to learn something new today. Uh, deep fakes are basically uh, where you can take an an AI algorithm that's available online, and you can uh, take a actress's face. Or it doesn't even have to be an actress. It could be just someone who has public photos, and they can digitally put. I see where your mind went. <laughs> well, this is what's going on there. They can digitally take somebody's oh, face. I would behave and and put it on a uh, like a porno actress's uh, body in a sex scene. And so the uh, the the podcaster found this guy who has successfully developed a way to take AI. And if there is a woman who is saying something he doesn't like, then uh, he can go and scrape their photos from their Facebook or their public profiles or whatever and make uh, and then find a database. He has a database of porno actresses and scenes and he can digitally put that woman on this porno actress's face and then send it to all of her contacts. But here's the freaky part about it is that he... Oh, good. We're getting to the... Yeah, I know, this yeah, isn't even the yet. freaky part. The freaky yeah. part is that oh, this guy has developed an AI algorithm that basically does it all automatically for him. So if he... I, if, if he... The AI algorithm will identify keywords that uh, he feels are feminist. Uh, and then it, it will automatically find that person's uh, information on Facebook, digitally take their photographs and digitally make this, uh, this, this movie and find all of their contacts and send it to them. Does it all automatically. And part of the algorithm that he uses, he bought from someone at Facebook using uh, Bitcoin. So he's a he's a Bitcoin trader. So what it what what suddenly clicked for me in all of this, and this this is the the terrifying part, is that if you look at uh, the mass shootings that have happened in America over the past uh, few years, they there's a there's a certain demographic of person, and it's it's the same type of person. It's usually uh, someone who is. Do you have that conspiracy music, Andros, so you could you could play here? I do. So this is my. Conspiracy theory oh my God. of the week. There we go. Um, I feel better now. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so, uh, but basically there, there's a whole underground movement of people who feel like they have not been heard and they feel like they haven't been uh, validated and they feel like they're losing their rightful place in society. And they have taken to doing smear tactics and vicious campaigns and disinformation. And it's not about government or country anymore. It's about just keeping your place in the world. And so, so the fact that, that any, it, like there's a whole underground army of people that are basically digital terrorists and they can find digitally find somebody who they don't like, smear them, create content, send it to their, uh, to the people that are, are, uh, you know, to their friends and family and do this all in a matter of seconds. Uh, and those who can't do that will just take a gun and, and go kill people. That's the whole th- mechanism that really terrifies me, right? So, uh, so my question is, and, and you and I, uh, Josh, uh, actually all three of us, we have kids that are about the same age. What, where does this put us, Josh? I mean, like you're, you've been a person who has made movies that have tried to make a difference, but what do you, what do you see as like the way to combat all of this? You're, you're asking me. <laughs> I'm an well, environmental well, filmmaker. I, I'm asking. What, what am I going to do about the thing, digital? The, and you're like, what? <laughs> Solve this problem but, for but us. It's, it's not just that. It's about yeah, we, do something. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm I'm talking more like like you know you make content, you hope to sway some minds, but uh, I guess my broader question is is do you find that there is a a as an artist as a filmmaker do you feel that there is a responsibility 
to make art that is going to sway people? Or do you feel that sometimes you're just preaching to a choir? Like, tell me like where you are with that. Well, I think, I think, man, (laughs) that is okay. All right. So, (laughs) sorry. So I can't address the digital face deep thing. That's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole thing, right? (laughs) That's, that's, uh, that's like a, I can't do that. But but what I can tell you is um, there is there is a sort of meta media that we're all plugged into, and it's kind of like the acceptable consciousness of what can what can you put out there? Well, a movie has to be this this many parts violence, this many parts sex, this many parts chasing around, and that's th- this much tension and this much fear, right? And, and the news has its own formula. And Facebook, you know, tracks advertising via its own formula. Instagram and Google and blah, 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 blah you know. And Amazon's going to slowly eclipse all of them with its advertising. So we plugged into a meta media that is very mediocre. You know, we're talking about Netflix lowering the bar for acceptable mediocrity. Our media as a whole is mediocre. And we have become resigned that that mediocrity is acceptable and is the norm. So we, as a, as a society, often don't look for things that we're really yearning for, we really want, which is, you know, potentially content that uplifts us, that makes us feel good, that proposes a solution to world problem, that connects us versus that divides us. And, and we get into this downward spiral of, of sort of triggers and emotional levers that, that make us afraid or anxious or worried or hateful. Um, and, and I see a lot of that playing into the destructive behaviors of people who take power either in politics or they take power in some other way uh, without the choice of other people, these, these terrible shooters at these high schools, you know, people who are binging on meta media and who never unplug for, for connection, you know? And I think what, what we try to do with our films is we try to maintain a moral compass. We try to maintain that there is a market out there of people who are looking for uplifting content. We try to maintain that there are people who want to solve world problems. And, and that's our, that's our trim tab. That's our, our rudder for where we steer the ship. And we, we let a lot of the rest of it just kind of roll off our backs because so much of it is media reacting to media, reacting to media, reacting to some very, you know, base emotion that it, it's just it's just a snake biting its tail and and the more i think the more we can provide content that breaks people out of that wakes people up and says hey man peace love and happiness is just a good a a fuel as anxiety hate and fear you know yeah that's that's a uh, that's amazing i and I, I and that's one of the things i really appreciate about the content that you do make is that um you you always start with a question and usually that question is how come i don't have a choice yeah. in this like why am i just given this and I, it's just being kind of accepted as this is the thing that is normal why is there not a choice and from there you know you spiral out to these to these much bigger issues that make us really think and you know i i love the the kind of the flow of the way your movies work because they always end with this kind of like Wow, it, I I can really make a difference. So, um, well, well, but real quick, real uh, quick, know, I have to say to... that um, another movie, and we're not going to go into detail on this, but I just want to give it a shout out. Was your movie Good Fortune on John Paul DeJoria and and how you asked the question like, why can't we have capitalism and still maintain a conscience, like have conscience uh, conscious capitalism instead of just uh, instead of capitalism that only seeks to win at all costs. Like, why can't there be some sort of happy medium? And that's another great movie. And it, and it actually stars none other than Andra Sturgeon, which uh, we, I, had to, I had to just mention that's that. That's right. That's right. The, <laughs> and John Paul DeGioia played uh, a role, too. The movie is he actually... Role. <laughs> that's right. 
That's right. But, uh, but, the, but the highlight of the movie is me. So if you, in full disclosure, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, w- can you, can you get into good fortune a little bit? Uh, we're yeah. running out of time, but just briefly, like what, what that experience was like for you. Yeah. So that was, uh, life-changing. We, we deviated from an environmental only movie. We made a biopic about a billionaire, which many people would say, Oh, that's really self-serving. And, um, and it wasn't, you know, the amazing thing about good fortune, which you can see on Amazon and iTunes and, you know, all of the digital platforms, uh, with the exception of Netflix, for some reason, they just keep not wanting to take it. The, um, the exciting thing about that film is it, it shows a guy who grew up in gangs. He grew up homeless. He grew up, you know, in foster care and mostly as a failure for the first 42 years of his life. So if you're feeling like a failure and you haven't reached 42, here's the good news. <laughs> at, a, at somewhere in his 40s, he meets up with another guy named Paul Mitchell. They start a hair, hair care products a business. And uh, in a matter of time, it's worth billions and billions of dollars. And the whole thing is built on not testing on animals, giving back, doing good things in the world. And that's how he still builds his businesses today. And then he, he went on and co-founded Patron Tequila. Uh, and uh, thanks to the movie, he sold Patron Tequila <laughs> because of its, its, the movie, you know, just went, went really well. Uh, and people were like, oh my gosh, we should buy that brand from him. It's very valuable. And so they did. So, you know, he continues to just use his life to make the world a better place. And I think that, regardless of what system you're in, if it's capitalism or socialism or social capitalism or some combination of all that stuff, uh, it is ultimately good stories are about things that are unexpected and that are beautiful in the world and that give us hope and that give life meaning. And Good Fortune does that. So well, gives, everybody it, should go out and watch that movie. Good it Fortune. Gives, uh, it gives yeah. me hope because and, and, I am not 42 yet. I am under 42, which means that there's still hope for me. Andros, sorry about sorry about that, bud. Uh, it's too <laughs> late for me, buddy. It's too late for me. But, uh, but you know what it's not too late for? Oh, yeah. That's right. It's time once again for the Sex Robot Report. Uh, here we go. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Sex Robot Report. Give me, give me some horn. It's never too late. It's oh, yeah. never too late for this. Never, never too late for the Sex Robot Report. Uh, this is from uh, DailyMail.co.uk. Uh, Swedish feminists demand a ban on sex robots because they are quote dangerous and dehumanize women, just like pornography. Uh, you say band like they want a band of sex robots. They want to. They want to form a, a sex robot <laughs> band, and uh, I would. I would buy that. Sounded like man. that. Yeah, yeah. I would too. That's a great idea. <laughs> I would at least listen to it on Spotify. Uh, <laughs> feminist groups in Sweden have called for a ban on dangerous sex robots because they encourage men to treat women's bodies as objects, and could lead to violence against real women and girls. Sweden's Women's Lobby, the National Organization for Women's Shelters and Young Women's Shelters, have made a joint appeal in Swedish newspapers expressing for the robots to be banned as they dehumanize women. The groups believe that the incredibly lifelike dolls and robots are posing a threat to the safety of women and are not programmed with the ability to say no to men's demands. So, yeah. Well, we, I, we talked about other episodes, like how they're trying to build in like AI and have these robots consent, but I, I guess that's not there yet. I think what this is comes down to like the Grand Theft Auto argument, like when those video games came out and it's like, okay, people are acting out on these, uh, you know, they're running around shooting people in the streets and stealing cars and committing crime. Did that have an impact on our society? And I, I don't know the, I mean, there have been more shootings uh, since those games came out, but I don't know if there's any correlation between the two or not, or any causality. Well, science says um, no. I mean, they've done studies on this, and 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 it says no. Uh, but uh, but the 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 real question is, uh, would owning a sex robot uh, dehumanize, like, make people kind of de- want to dehumanize women? Uh, and that's uh, that's kind of the the real crux to the situation i mean like we all have kids and and you know by the time that they're our age they 
could possibly be able to date an, an artificial intelligent organism, right? So uh, that's that's kind of a, a, a strange concept. Uh, <laughs> Josh, would you ever cast a sex robot in one of your movies? Would that would that uh, would you would you be down with that? This is a very theoretical question. Uh, would <laughs> Before you answer that, yeah, make sure you preface I mean, I think, it. I, mean, I, think, I think it was appropriate if, if they're playing themselves as long as they're not playing somebody else, you know? It's true. Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, it's true. But, but I mean, like, what if you, what if you program so the... sex robots can't be actors, huh? <laughs> you know, this... I, I think sex robots should have rights to, to do anything that they want to do. There, there are moments... You know, act. Yeah, there are moments where I feel that, that I am... Uh, you know, there there are just moments where I'm like, you know, I'm going to be stuck in the dark ages. My my kids will experience a different world than I will. You know, this yeah. this is one of those moments. This is true. Well, mine is nine months old. It's who knows what the world will hold. I, I think back like when I was a kid and a regular Nintendo was out because I'm 35. I'll be 36 this year. So like when I grew up, I grew up in the 80s and it was like I grew up with Nintendo and 8-bit Nintendo. And now in since since then, you look at what we have now and like how far we've come. Like they were barely... Like Apple was launching their computer, like their initial home computers in the 80s. And you look at where we're at now with uh, computers on, you know, you have computers on your cell phone that are a thousand times more powerful than what we had in the past that used to take up entire rooms, actually, when they first when they first came out with these things. So yeah. it, the technology is going to continue to advance exponentially. And if AI comes out, then who even knows how far it can go because AI could could take it a whole nother level. Well, I just want to say to any AI uh, entity that is listening to this deep in the future, I, I love and respect yes. you. And if there is a Me Too moment for <laughs> AI and, uh, you know, the, the chickens come home to roost because uh, AI has been disrespected by, by men, I just want to say on the record – I totally love and respect you, and I will always ask for consent with any a robot, uh, sex robot I interact. with. Yes, and, with and that, if AI ever decides that humans are no longer necessary on the planet, I want you to know that I am necessary, and because I, I want to take care of you, AI, I want to take care of you. So spare me, spare me. <laughs> so that's the uh, the sex robot report. Have at it. So, uh, Josh, tell me uh, where can we find your uh, plug your stuff? You've got a bunch of stuff coming out. You got a, you got some books. Uh, give us a you know where where can we find you? Uh, give us some plugs. Yep. First place is Facebook. You got to go to facebook.com backslash eco dude. Get me on Facebook. So E C O D U D E. Yep. Eco dude. Got it. Yep. Hook up with me on Facebook. And of course, there is Big Picture Ranch, which is our movie website, bigpictureranch.com. And kisstheground.com for the Kiss the Ground book and soon to be movie, the Revolution Generation.us for Revolution Generation.us for the Revolution Generation. And, you know, all other mediums and plugs and Twitters and Instagrams, and we're all over the place. And just kind of searching Josh Takel on Amazon will probably get them a lot of your products as well, yeah. right? Correct. And we'll put we'll put links down at yeah. the bottom of the description. And I, I I do recommend that everyone please go watch Fuel. It's a dynamite movie, uh, and uh, uh, Good Fortune also <laughs> a really wonderful, uplifting movie, especially because of the star. Uh, I, I love them both. Yeah, well, the acting is incredible. That's all. <laughs> the I flashback say. scenes are amazing. Uh, <laughs> Josh, before we go, uh, last any advice you want to give to any budding filmmakers who who are now like just starting out in their career? What would you What would you say to somebody who who wanted advice? I actually always say keep your day job. the 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 yeah. most dangerous thing for filmmakers is to jump in with no source of income. And if you can keep a job, if you can keep, you know, a roof over your head and keep that stress out of your life of trying to make your film make money the first time around or even the, in our case, eighth time around, uh, it's, it's much better. It's, it's much easier. You're going to have a better time. You know, people go, oh, I can't make a film and work. I'm like, dude, work 40 hours a week. Are you kidding me? When you have kids, you learn what the other hundreds of hours a week are for, you know? <laughs> this is true. Trust me. I go to bed can, at 3 a.m. now. <laughs> yeah. You can make a movie in, in no time flat with a 40-hour-a-week job. And so I think, 
financial stability and financial health is connected to mental health for filmmakers. You got to keep that sanity. You got to keep that stability. It doesn't mean that that's your, you know, that's where your career is going, but um, you can, you can do so much in the hours that you're not working. And that's, that's where you really get to dig in. Cause if you can leave work at work and then just create your movie, uh, you're going to have a great time. All right. Well, I got one more yeah. for you. So what would you say your top lesson about marketing has been in your career uh, from starting as a budding young filmmaker, not knowing uh, what's coming to now, what have you learned the most about marketing? If you could sum it up into one tactic or one, one thing. It's all about seeing whether or not the market will sustain your project. So can you find 60 comps that are very similar in some way, shape, or form to what you want to make, and, and many of which have been successful? Can you point to five that are roughly the same budget range with roughly the same assets that performed roughly the way you want your, your project to perform? If so... Uh, can you then convince people who are going to distribute it that it's going to be distributable before you even make it? If the answer is yes, then you've crossed the hardest threshold in the beginning. Wow. Interesting. That, so predictability that, kind of, you have to have a, have something that has some predictability for profits. Or just screw it and do what you want to do. But know that Steve Jobs method, yeah. just you tell people what they want to see before they even know. Look, it. there are plenty of great <laughs> directors, plenty of great product creators, plenty of great people who have just broken the mold and made something amazing. And I am definitely 100% for that. But yeah. you've got to align your expectations with if you're going to go out and just break the mold and break the market into a million pieces, then, you know, just open your expectations and don't be like, oh, this is going to be shown on 6 million screens worldwide. Like <laughs> yeah. you're going to make something that you're going to make because you're going to make it. And, and the rest is inconsequential. You've got to give up that expectation for how it's going to look yep. at the end of the day. So either you have the expectation, if the expectation's there, then you've got to have predictability in marketing. But if you want to make something that's just tr truly artistic and amazing, then take the expectation away and go follow your passion. I'm the last person to tell somebody not to follow their passion. Yep. And then the rest is about luck and timing and um, just some variables. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the Steve Jobs method of kind of telling people what they want before they want it is very much the exception. Like a lot of people want to model that because it sounds better. But I mean, the reality is very, very few people are successful at doing it. He was a rare case and what you're talking about, predictability, following the analytics, following the data, that's a much safer and much more um, sane sense of, uh, <laughs> of building up your business. And building it's up your true. Capital. I mean, look, so look at I us. We, we started with zero listeners and now we have seven. So, um, and, and, and with yes. that, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again, Josh Tickell, the fabulous Josh Tickell for joining us today here on marketing geeks uh it's josh, been awesome josh thank you yeah, yeah share something yeah and and uh and uh, tell 500 of your closest friends about us uh josh please because you know absolutely we'll put this on put this on all the social media when it all comes the out. social yeah, media can you throw us on the back end of your 27 million view video just throw like a random marketing geeks or put in like one of those uh, subconscious slides or you know where they just did like a one second cut and then have a marketing geeks logo that's what that would be nice we'd appreciate it just like the tyler <laughs> durden but the one frame yeah like the tyler the tyler durden one frame that's what i'm talking <laughs> about yeah <laughs> and uh you guys are please leave a comment you guys are hilarious thank yeah, you thank you man this has been a real pleasure and uh please watch josh Tickell's movies they are really really good if, if you aren't familiar with them and uh if you have any questions of course you could reach out to us on uh linkedin a couple of our uh, listeners have and i really appreciate it i love hearing from people and uh man this was a great show and i i really appreciate it so yeah. With you that, got questions that you want addressed on the show, reach out. We'll answer those.